HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast, local stories for a strong community here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We partner with organizations throughout the neighborhood to share their remarkable journeys and break down the important issues facing Bushwick today. Valentine's Day is this week, and for a lot of people in the community, that will mean one thing, chocolate. In the spirit of the holiday, we sat down to learn the journey of Bushwick's foremost chocolate expert. I got some skills. <laughs> I, got some, I got mad skills with this stuff. <laughs> because I'm part chocolate. I may, you know, we're sitting talking and you're like, oh, here's Daniel. He's on the chair, looks human. Which is partly true. <laughs> the other part truth is I am part chocolate bar. I mean, definitely eaten enough of it to, to be that way. That's Daniel Sklar. How did he come to be part man, part chocolate, and the founder of one of Bushwick's most celebrated and unique companies? It's February 13th, 2019, and this episode is called Fine and Raw. As a heads up, there will be a little bit of adult language in this episode, but it's all in good spirits. Among the neighborhoods in Brooklyn, Bushwick is notable for the diversity not just of its people, but of its spaces. There's an eclectic range of homes, from aging walk-ups to gaudy new luxury buildings. There are supermarkets and bodegas and vintage shops and shoe stores. And scattered throughout the community, there are buildings that feel essentially Bushwick, like factories and workshops and industrial spaces overflowing with metal and machines. As you walk among these parts of the neighborhood, particularly towards East Williamsburg in the north near Flushing Avenue, you'll notice signs for something called the IBZ, This is the industrial business zone, and it's one of several areas throughout New York City that have special regulations to support industrial and manufacturing jobs. Across the city, industrial and warehouse spaces are being converted into or replaced by expensive market-rate housing, which threatens manufacturing jobs and destabilizes affordable housing in industrial neighborhoods. IBZs are put in place partly to help preserve the industrial capacity of these spaces. Along with neighborhoods like East Williamsburg and Greenpoint, Bushwick sits in the North Brooklyn IBZ, the third largest industrial hub in all of New York City, where, according to the Department of City Planning, there are nearly 15,000 industrial jobs. Historically, Bushwick's industrial area has been home to major sites like breweries and tortillerias. Today, it hosts a range of industrial jobs, from food processing to wholesaling to manufacturing, and on a more intimate scale, chocolate making. Surrounded by various industrial spaces, converted apartments, 
and even a modest park, is Bushwick's own fine and raw chocolate factory. It's hard to miss the fine and raw factory. From its large glass storefront, to the regular stream of visitors going in and out, to the giant lighted sign above its entryway that reads Chocolate Factory, the space is bold, industrial, proudly a little funky, but still welcoming. Okay, so you said this was the chocolate tempering machine, which is tempering is bringing it to a When you enter, you first step into a modest cafe and tasting area, but there's an open view into the factory floor that allows you to see the collection of various machines mixing chocolates and the workers packaging assorted products. As you admire the space, it's important to understand that unlike most chocolate factories, Fine and Raw has a stated mission. And that mission is manufacturing the finest organic bean-to-bar chocolate in the world. Perhaps more important, though, is understanding an addendum that the team has added, which reads, Saving the World Through Silliness and Stone Ground Chocolate. This combination of formal excellence, radical ambition, and self-aware cheekiness is integrated into the DNA of everything Fine and Raw does, from its production to its branding. And it's all very much a reflection of Fine and Raw's eclectic founder. I am Daniel Sklar, uh, the founder of Fine and Raw Chocolate in Brooklyn, Bushwick. Daniel has a warm and playful presence. He's friendly, curious, and his excitement when talking about things like personal growth or the inspiration of work is irrepressible, even when it extends to seemingly more mundane topics like cold storage rooms. This is a room that I like to call the chocolate spaceship. And um, actually, in reality, it's the, the, the cold room uh, where we store the chocolate. All the machines and staffers and cold storage rooms here combine into an operation that makes Fine and Raw one of the world's leading producers of what they refer to in their mission as bean-to-bar chocolate. Bean to bar essentially is the technical term for a chocolate maker who um, buys cocoa beans as a commodity and produces chocolate out of the cocoa beans, as opposed to a a chocolatier who would um, buy already made chocolate and then melt the chocolate and um, go on to make confections from that. The translation is that unlike the majority of chocolate brands you're likely to have had in your life, Fine and Raw oversees the complete cycle of working with farmers to directly source cacao beans, processing them, and transforming them into edible chocolate. The result is a chocolate that's richer, a bit more bitter, and as Daniel describes, more beneficial than traditional chocolate. Among other things, Fine and Raw chocolate is vegan, meaning it doesn't contain any animal products, and as its name suggests, raw, meaning it's heated, but not technically to the point of being roasted, a distinction that Fine and Raw says has improved health benefits. Cacao is in fact considered a superfood. It's rich in antioxidants and minerals, and per its mission, Fine and Raw works hard to keep as much of the nutritional value of the beans while making chocolate that's as delicious as possible. Since officially launching in 2008, Fine and Raw has seen a tremendous response from consumers and culture growing from a project in Daniel's kitchen to this expansive Bushwick warehouse and attracting attention from partners like Ralph Lauren and Nordstrom. It might be surprising to learn then that prior to founding Fine and Raw, Daniel wasn't involved in candy or even in food, but in finance. The journey that brought him here, much like Daniel himself, is wandering, expansive, and a bit fantastical.
Daniel was born and raised in Johannesburg, South Africa. But growing up, he dreamed of living in New York City. Uh, yeah, I was deep in love with New York from an early age. Uh, I remember having a picture of, um, it's a little embarrassing, a picture of uh, Carnegie Deli's pastrami sandwich on my felt board um, growing up like when I was small. And that was, I mean, there was something in me. I was like, I need to go to New York to get this sandwich. Without telling him, Daniel's mother applied for and won a green card that would allow Daniel to emigrate to the United States after he graduated college. To ensure that he would make it to New York, he studied finance and prepared himself to earn a job working on Wall Street. Ultimately, that hard work paid off, and he successfully moved to New York in 2003. Of course, he didn't miss his opportunity to have the pastrami sandwich that he dreamed of for so many years. If, yeah. I mean, yeah, multiple times. The New York dream that Daniel had worked toward for virtually his entire life was coming to pass. And while the city was proving to be the amazing adventure he'd been hoping for, there was just one problem. The finance job he'd prepared himself to survive on was anything but. The, the whole thing was uh, absurdly surreal. The, the culture shock of moving to New York, um, the culture shock of actually having to work in a corporate environment, the people I worked with were massively intelligent. I mean, we're talking about guys who used to spend their spare time um, searching the corners of the internet for uh, vintage economics textbooks. Okay, this is these are the people that I was working with. Like, amazing, amazing people to chat like uh, advanced financial instruments with. Um, you just don't want to be stuck in a car for more than like an hour with them talking about such instruments. Daniel's job was essentially to do complicated financial grunt work. It paid exceptionally well and was certainly stimulating, but for all the shopping in Soho and challenging projects that his role afforded, Daniel found himself uninspired and unfulfilled. You know, when you, when you start working in these uh, financial institutions, you're basically a surf slave peon and you, you're on Excel spreadsheets and you're modeling out um, uh, information. So Daniel had succeeded in moving himself to New York City. Now his next step was to manifest the life that he wanted to live here. Daniel left Wall Street to explore what he wanted his life to look like in the U.S., or as he puts it... Truth really a combination of... of uh, Yoga, psilocybin, soul searching, uh, just listening to my own my own personal intuition and whims, and 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 wanting to explore what else was was in my future. He'd saved some money from his Wall Street job, but in order to stay in the city and pay his bills while he explored his options, he needed to limit his spending as much as possible. Daniel had always been a bit of a foodie, but this new need to stretch his dollars had the unexpected side effect of kicking off an intense interest in cooking. I had about six months of financial survival behind me. That I'm like, all right, cool. Like, that's how long I'll be able to go to the grocery store and pay my rent for. So you start to stretch that out. And then, you know, I started cooking a lot more. And I got really interested in um, being in the kitchen and uh, the creativity of it and working with your hands and... Uh, it's so satisfying. The more Daniel cooked, the more creative he felt. And the more creative he felt, 
the more curious he was to explore the latest trends and movements in the culinary world. It was the mid-2000s, a time when there was a lot to explore. One thing uh, led to the next from, um, from the kitchen, and then um, I got interested in different food movements, organic, vegetarian, pescetarian, and, 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 then, and then I went down the raw food rabbit hole, far end of the spectrum, for so deep down the rabbit hole, wow. Still very much a fringe and experimental community when Daniel became interested, raw foodism captured Daniel in a way that other, more traditional food movements didn't. So I was a hardcore raw foodist for about three years. For those who don't know, raw food is you don't eat anything cooked um, and, you, and everything is plant-based. The, the world of food is fascinating, you know? So it's like as deep down the rabbit hole of raw food uh, I went, the, it still did not even touch um, what's out there. Um, I, I love learning. I, I, I love discovering things and, um, you know, going down the rabbit hole is also that, that process of learning and discovering and, and I'm someone who learns by doing, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse. Within raw food, there was a lot to learn and a lot to do. Daniel became a raw food chef and caterer here in the city and eventually landed briefly in Arizona to work at a raw food cafe. Because, as Daniel puts it... Because that's, like, where raw foodists go. That's, that's raw, <laughs> raw food, like, H, universe HQ. At the same time as Daniel was going down the raw food rabbit hole, a new ingredient was emerging on the raw food scene in the U.S. Raw cacao. For Daniel and other raw foodists, this was a revelation for a diet that was certainly creative, but largely involved uncooked vegetables. But essentially, you're eating carrots and lettuce. Like, that's what it is. Okay, let's, let's you know, call a spade a spade here. Um, then uh, uh, cacao beans enter the raw food uh, industry. And it was, I mean, it's just an explosion of excitement because you, you give cacao beans, which is chocolate, to a bunch of people who can only eat carrots and lettuce. Um, and it's, it's just like beyond. Back in New York, Daniel was deep into a scene of raw foodists who chefed during the day and experimented with raw cacao at night. It was a time of innovation, excitement, and camaraderie. Yeah, it was such a cool time in in the raw food scene. So as as, uh, raw food chefs, me and my friends, we we would be chefing during the day and then we'd we'd be experimenting with with, uh, raw cacao concoctions at night and playing around and coming up with formulas. And Daniel just, soon became one of the most successful of these tinkerers, making DIY batches of raw chocolate in his kitchen that became exceptionally popular with his friends in the community. I had some pots and pans and a, a fridge and a stove to melt things. And uh, yeah, I would have uh, chocolate making parties. I would invite all my friends. They would all come help me. I'd pay them in chocolate and tequila and beer. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was It was fun times. One of his most effective creations was a chocolate truffle, which would soon outgrow Daniel's kitchen and apartment parties. Yeah, they were like head-banger, boogie, dope-ass truffles. (laughs) They were like really on point. Um, And I gave them to my friends and uh, to my family and everyone, yeah, everyone was like, everyone was, was... This was a time when the concepts of bean to bar and raw chocolate were very much new to the chocolate industry at large. Innovation was being driven by people like Daniel and other home tinkerers. Then there was this 
small little hobbyist movement going on. Guys were getting real creatives. They, they were uh, cracking cocoa beans because you need to crack the cocoa bean to separate the shell from the inside in a nib. They're cracking them with a, a Krankenstein, which is from uh, the beer, the hobbyist like beer movement. Then they were taking uh, miniature uh, kitchen appliances that were designed for grinding uh, Indian lentils into dal and they were grinding the cocoa in that and, and every, everything was borrowed and um, taken from other small scale industries and um, put into the like the bean to bar hobbyist chocolate movement and all of a sudden there was there was this interest in people doing it and it was it was it was tiny it was so small scale if you wanted a piece of equipment you you had to source it from the pastry industry or the bottle filling industry or or you had to make it with the popularity of his truffles increasing and his ambitions for sharing his chocolates growing daniel needed to expand beyond his own diy setup so he sought out someone who could help him upgrade I was very lucky. I found the most amazing man in um, South Brooklyn who's a third generation candy man. And um, he's got a great space. And I went and worked with him in his space. You know, he was my mentor. Like old school Brooklyn dude, uh, just salt of the earth, amazing, amazing man. So I moved out of, the, out of my kitchen into his kitchen. That makes a big difference because all of a sudden you're in someone else's kitchen and then they have all the equipment and everything. And um, and then I would bring in the necessary pieces that I would need for the specialized production that I required. Working with this mentor and moving into a more professionally equipped space allowed Daniel to focus on two things, improving the quality of his chocolates and transforming them from a hobby into a business. From his background in finance, he was familiar with entrepreneurs bringing on investors or venture capital. But for Daniel, the most important thing was to grow not fast, but thoughtfully. So each step of the way, he bootstrapped it. You know, I started real small, and then I moved there. I was, I was selling at the at um, Smorgasburg from day one. Mm-hmm. Like I would take a bus uh, down Nostrand Avenue on Friday night to South Brooklyn, fetch the my, my chocolate from the from the kitchen, uh, like take the bus back. <laughs> um, then like Saturday morning, go set up shop at Smorgasburg, like sell chocolate all weekend and Monday morning you know uh, take stock and then hit the kitchen again and it was it was real we're talking grassroots here as his grassroots efforts picked up and he outgrew the outdoor market of smorgasburg he came to a crossroads his next step in terms of growth would be to formally move fine and raw into its own retail and manufacturing space but the idea of making such a massive commitment to chocolate something that for a lot of people would still seem so strange, was a huge risk. As with each step in the journey up to this point, Daniel chose his path by trusting his intuition and capitalizing on serendipity. At that time, like I was swimming in this master's group in the morning and one of, one of my buddies uh, is like a big uh, real estate tycoon shark who was like, hey, I got this little space, do you want it? And at that time, you know, I was looking for a space, so, I mean, that's the first thing, okay, is the intention, right? I want to, I want to, I want to go out on my own. I want to do things. Um, I heard this thing, all, all choices are, or like all decisions are emotional, which I mean, I kind of agree with 
and then like you back them up with uh, rationalizations or whatever it is so um, you know I, I had this this intention just to like go out on my own and, and open up a factory and um, and create this space uh, I felt it you know when you just like intuitively feel something mm-hmm. so then I was looking for space and this, this, this space sort of fell in my lap and then uh, and then I started the process of building it out like it was supposed to take two months to build out. It took a year. I was, you know, we started upgrading um, machinery. I, 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 br- I broke a bunch of machinery. I bought a new bunch of machinery. I, bu- I bought machinery that was useless. I sold machinery that like didn't like. You, you just like go, you go through it, you know. Um, yeah, it's the journey, the chocolate journey. The space that he lucked into was the same Bushwick factory here on the edge of the IBZ where Fine and Raw works today. As the operations at Fine and Raw have grown here in Bushwick, Daniel and the team have focused on how, in their role as chocolate makers, they can contribute positively to the neighborhood. As makers, as artisans, as artists, as creators, to be doing things in service for people and to be doing it with a lot of integrity and relevance. You know, if you're not making things that are relevant, you're just adding to the spam that's out there. God knows there's enough spam already. This relationship between Fine and Raw and the community is important to Daniel. The factory hires local workers, and while the products they make are undeniably priced at a premium, Daniel and the team work hard to ensure, in as much as the chocolate factory can, that they deliver that value back to their customers and the community. I feel as if a chocolate factory is a very special thing to have in your life. If you live around a chocolate factory, that's pretty fucking cool, man. (laughs) Now, the extension of that is, um, I feel as if it's an opportunity for everyone. It's It's an opportunity for us, fine and raw, to open up a space for people to have that be part of their lives. Um, I think it's about the potential, you know, like we we do have a lot of potential to add something, to contribute something very relevant to people's lives. Um, and that's, that's a cool thing. Today, more than 15 years after Daniel first achieved his dream of moving to New York and more than 11 years into his chocolate journey, he seems as passionate about his path and his work as ever. There's a lot of magic in chocolate. You know, we're, we're talking about a, a food. The Latin name is Theobroma cacao, which means food of the gods. Okay, so there's, there's a very rich history here. There's a lot of, like, stuff about chocolate that's, that's whimsical and magical. And, the, yeah, it's just such a great um, medium to work with as an artist. It's a far cry from his days as a self-described peon on Wall Street and a testament to his long-standing path of trusting his intuition, working hard, and riding the serendipity of the world. In reflecting on that path, Daniel has some closing thoughts. Patience and persistence are amazing things. And um, follow your heart, no matter how scary it may seem. Oh. Uh, be curious as fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah let, 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 me, let me end on that one. <laughs> yeah. If you want to try Fine and Raw's chocolate for yourself, 
You can visit their factory here in Bushwick at 288 Siegel Street or visit their website at fineandraw.com. This week, we're excited to announce a pair of special Valentine's Day partnerships. On Instagram, the fourth person to follow both Fine and Raw and Bushwick Podcast and comment the phrase Theobroma Cacao on our Instagram post promoting this episode will win one eight-piece box of Fine and Raw's famous truffles. This one's going to go fast, and we can't wait to see who wins. Also for the holiday, Fine and Raw is working with the local florist at Rose Hip Social to offer bouquets at the Fine and Raw factory, as well as Valentine's chocolates at the Rose Hip storefront at 379 Graham Avenue. We're wishing everyone, no matter where you're enjoying the holiday from, a very happy Valentine's Day. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please do us a favor and tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes. If you have questions, comments, or want to get involved with Bushwick Podcast, send us an email to hello at hearbushwick.com. That's H-E-A-R bushwick.com. Or DM us on our Instagram page at Bushwick Podcast. We'll be back next week, and I look forward to seeing you then.